Welcome to Women on the Line, a community radio national feminist current affairs program featuring the voices of women and gender non-conforming people, produced at 3CR Community Radio in Melbourne and broadcast on the Community Radio Network. I'm Emma Hart. So we're hoping that the map, you know, does open the eyes to all Australians about what happened. And what we've got on the map, the number of sites, really, it'd be lucky, you know, it's just those that we know about. Women on the Line acknowledges that this program is produced and presented on the land of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nations and that their sovereignty was never ceded. We acknowledge their elders past and present, as well as the traditional owners of the land on which you're hearing us from. This week on the program, we hear an interview with Professor Lyndall Ryan, a leading historian of the Australian colonial frontier. Lyndall spoke with Marissa Spasaro, presenter and producer of 3CR Community Radio's Do and Time show, about the frontier wars, the process of uncovering evidence of massacres of Aboriginal people, and a digital colonial frontier massacres map covering the period from 1780 to 1930. Marissa will also provide a content note and an acknowledgement about the content of today's program. This is Marissa Spasaro. First up on the show, we're going to be speaking with Professor Lyndall Ryan, and we will be speaking with Lyndall about the massacres in Victoria. We were speaking off air today about the frontier wars, and there's so much to talk about. And what Lyndall and I decided was that we would actually talk about massacres in Victoria and talk a little bit about what the frontier wars mean. And there are so many stories. And so the frontier wars are really about acts of resistance. So it's not just that there were massacres. It's it's about putting that in context. And I'm hoping also to talk to Lyndall about the digital map that um, she has done some research on. So we'll talk about that. My eyesight is quite poor, so I'm really hoping that she doesn't mind if I ask stupid questions. Um, before we proceed, I would just like to acknowledge um, all the people that died in the massacres and also to pay respect to them and also to say that to, to listeners that there may be audio images of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples that have died. Hello, Linda. Welcome to the program. Thank you very much, Marisa, for having me. So I'm wondering if you could just, first of all, um, talk about what land you're from. Um, at the moment, I'm living on the land of the Awabakal people uh, in Newcastle, and I'd like to take this opportunity to pay my respects to the elders past, present and emerging in Awabakal country. It's a very lively Aboriginal community here. Absolutely. So I'm wondering if you could um, talk to us just about what what actually happened with, with with the massacres and maybe perhaps put it in context. Well, I think the first massacres uh, happened uh, within six years of the first British people arriving in Sydney. Uh, it was six years after they arrived. Um, We've got the first massacres being recorded in 1794, 1795, and we've got fairly consistent evidence of the massacres occurring right up until about 1930, possibly beyond, but we decided that we had such a 
uh, a wide, a long historical period to work on that we decided to stick with the period up to 1930. And what we found is that every time uh, the British settlers tried to move out a bit further, uh, they would encounter Aboriginal resistance and that uh, they, the settlers would then organise to massacre the Aboriginal people uh, so they could occupy, take the Aboriginal land. The massacres were not the only way, of course, of killing Aboriginal people, but uh, we think that the massacres were responsible for between 40 and 50% of all Aboriginal people killed overall. So it does play a very significant role. And we've got different forms of evidence of finding the massacre. Uh, we've got, uh, particularly in northern Australia, where the massacres happened uh, in the 20th century, we have some very important Aboriginal oral evidence, particularly where they've recorded it and it's been published. And that's quite a rich archive. But when we come to Victoria, most of the massacres happened in the period, 15-year uh, period before gold was discovered in 1851. That is between about 1835 and 1850. And in that period, um, most of the western districts of Victoria were occupied by sheep farmers and cattle farmers and Gippsland was occupied by cattle farmers and they uh, were very good at undertaking massacres to get rid of the Aboriginal people. And when you look at the massacre map, we've got more than 50 massacres across Victoria in that very limited time frame of about 15 years. So it was very swift, it was very bloody, and uh, we, we know from statistics that about in that 15-year period, the Aboriginal population of Victoria dropped by at least 80% and probably more. So it was a pretty terrible time. But Aboriginal people did defend their land and they, they died defending their land. Absolutely. And the thing is that Australians and indeed people all over the world have been robbed of Australian history because a lot of the time Aboriginal people were portrayed as... As, as inverted commas, savages, that, that, and, and in fact that were passive and didn't fight back, and that's not true. It certainly isn't. And you always find when you've got an enemy who's causing you problems, like Aboriginal people were, they were very stoutly resisting the invasion of their country. And so whenever you have an, um, uh, an, a so-called enemy you're going to give them the worst possible name. You're going to call them savages. You're going to call them vermin. You're going to call them anything but people. So you're always going to get a very negative term about the enemy. And sometimes these terms can reveal to the historian the fear that the invading settlers felt about the Aborigines. They, their way of dealing with it was to deny them humanity, which justified they're killing off them. And some of the work that I've done in Victoria indicates that the settlers felt they had every right to do it. Um, they didn't 
they felt that the government wasn't giving them any support. Uh, Aboriginal people, although they were technically British subjects, uh, in the British legal system, Aboriginal people were not allowed to appear in court to be witnesses to any of these killings that took place. So the settlers had virtually everything going for them. And we've got, you know, apart from the Mile Creek Massacre of 1838, which is one of the few times in Australia where the killers were brought to justice in court in Sydney, you know, that's such a rare event that we've got not a lot of information through the legal system about what is going on. We have to look for other sources to help us understand. And so many people were killed, so many Aboriginal people were killed in Victoria that there's not a lot of, um, you know, sort of consistent, uh, reliable memory of what happened. They certainly have this uh, psychic memory of the terrible violence but it's up to the historians to go and really find the evidence of what, how and where it happened. And it's um, pretty hard work to do. I'm not the only one who's done it. There's been people before me uh, uh, 20, 30 and 40 years ago. And in the 1990s, the Koori community in Melbourne produced the first massacre map in Australia of the massacre sites that their communities had collected over the years, and it caused quite a kerfuffle at the time. So I've built on a lot of their work, and putting it on a digital map, it means that anybody can see it, and if they've got any problems with it or they've got more information or anything like that, we have a contact page where people can contact me and the research team and say, hey, uh, I know about that massacre. But I think it's in the wrong place. I think it was in uh, in the next creek, not the one you've noticed, and we can talk about that. And if you know, if the research team feels, yes, upon reflection, we've looked at everything, it probably happened in the next creek rather than the one we've got on the map, we can change it. Or if other people have got other references, people have sent me copies of diaries from their ancestors that gives us more information. So being a digital project, it's live, it's ongoing all the time, and we can change it according to new information as it becomes available. And today, nearly a 1,000 people have contacted us over the last few years to, you know, to clarify the information. Most people want this map to be as um, as correct as possible, and they're very anxious that the information is there for everyone to see. So it's very much a national project. But Victoria is a good example of how and where the massacres happened, um, and Victoria is a good example of indicating that the massacres usually happen over a very short period of time, and then the settlers move on to the next place, and it begins all over again. So over a period of time, you get a range of settlers who are quite good at killing Aboriginal people en masse. They know how to plan it. They know when to attack. They know the kinds of people they're looking for, all of those kinds of things. So the story does 
tend to repeat itself, not all the time, but Victoria is a good case study of how you investigate um, frontier massacres in Australia. So do you actually have um, examples on that map that you can, you know, just a few massacres that you can tell listeners about in Victoria? Yeah, all right. Let me, there's one quite close to Melbourne, um, out at Werribee, uh, that took place um, not long after the settlers arrived, and that's in July 1836. And um, this happened uh, when Werribee at that stage was right on the frontier of settlement just outside Melbourne. It's now almost a Melbourne suburb, but back then it was out in what we call the boondocks. And so a settler from Tasmania, Mr Franks, and his shepherd uh, had taken up a, uh, a pastoral lease and had some sheep out there. And we think that um, the shepherd might have been interfering with Aboriginal women. And so uh, the shepherd was killed in in a payback by the Aboriginal community there. Well, when news reached Melbourne then a couple of days later, a party of 17 settlers armed with muskets um, uh, went out uh, and searched for the alleged murderers. And uh, we think that at least 10 Aboriginal people were shot. Now, news of that, uh, strange enough, it didn't reach Sydney very quickly, but it did reach Hobart because many of the settlers had come up from Tasmania. So the colonial secretary in Hobart wrote to the colonial secretary in Sydney about this and said... um, from what he had heard, these 17 people came up with the Aboriginal people uh, who were camped. About 50 of them were camped uh, around Werribee and uh, they uh, attacked the camp uh, at dawn and they killed at least 10 people. Well, the colonial secretary in Sydney then demanded that an inquiry should be held by the magistrate in Melbourne, and he interviewed many of those 17 people, and they all denied that anything had happened. Yes, they did go out looking for the murderers of, you know, the shepherd and so on, but that they denied that they had... They said, yes, they'd fired some shots, but it was, you know, a bit dark, and they weren't quite sure where they were firing. And so the official report just indicates that nothing happened. But other people... I'm not surprised, really. You know, so nothing's really changed, has it? You know, this sense of denial. And he, um, this this idea, um, you know, one of the the 17 men said, oh, I think I'd heard that one of the Aboriginal men was wounded, but that... He paid no attention to it at the time. In other words, they all colluded and this code of silence is developed. And this becomes so common when you read in the official sources when you've got accounts like incidents like this that get chased up by the authorities. All the attackers, you know, they go in for a code of silence. They all, We did nothing, sir, nothing to see here, but we do know that there were probably 10 Aboriginal people killed probably more, but we know that at least 10. This is very typical. We get it all over Australia. A st- 
story hits the newspapers that a group of settlers up in Queensland was had attacked an Aboriginal camp and at least 10 were killed. The magistrate holds an inquiry. He interviews all the alleged attackers. They all deny that anything happened. Women on the Line. On community radio around Australia, you're listening to Women on the Line. You're hearing an interview with Professor Lyndall Ryan, a leading historian of the Australian colonial frontier, in conversation with 3CR producer and presenter Marissa Spasaro. But in the case of this one at um, Werribee, 30 years later, one of the attackers admits that they shot at least 10 people. It's long after he can be arrested and it's long after his mates are going to get him if he speaks out. So it's breaking code of silence that is really the key to understanding the evidence of massacre. And that's where the historian has to do a lot of hard work. Oh. So this, yeah. this person's still alive, right? They're admitted. Sorry? Oh, yes. It's the person yes, that admitted. How can he sleep yes. at night? These are all young men. These are all young men. You know, oh. you don't get old going out committing massacre. These are men usually aged between 15 and 35. Uh, and those who are 15-year-olds are often a bit freaked by what happens. You know, they 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 might be a bit gung-ho at the time, but later on, it begins to gnaw at them. It eats into them. And often when they marry themselves and have their own children, they might get nightmares about the young Aboriginal children that they killed in these massacres. And the need to tell starts to take over. And we've got quite a few cases like this in Victoria, where uh, you know a guy in his late seventies or eighties will talk to a journalist who might be visiting a town for another reason entirely, and say, "I want to show you the site where it happened, and I want to tell you what happened." They need to get it off their chest. Of course, so it's quite interesting. It's quite interesting. We don't get it in every case, but relying on that on that kind of evidence is really important for the historian. It is important, and in fact, wouldn't it be amazing, Lyndall, if we could have memorial sites and, and like at Mile Creek? Yes, I think we're beginning to see more of them too. I think that in some areas, in some places, local communities do want to come together and acknowledge what happened, and a memorial is a really important way of doing it. So it would be good to see that Mile Creek, I think, is is sort of setting the example of what can be done. And we know that the memorial at Mile Creek, it took about 10 years to happen, but since the memorial was first opened in 20 years ago, uh, each year... Uh, when the site is acknowledged, more and more people come. Some of them come from all over Australia. They want to acknowledge what happened. And it's a deeply moving ceremony. And if anyone gets the opportunity to go in a year, it's always in the Queen's birthday weekend because the massacre happened on the 10th of June. And um, it, it's uh, a very important uh, moment to be there. Very moving and I think that we could get 
a number of sites across Victoria that where people could acknowledge these horrendous events. And where where is it is the event taking place? Uh, sorry, where, where is the event taking place? The memorial for Mile Creek. Uh, at at Mile Creek itself, the event it's in northern New South Wales. It's about um, thirty kilometres east of Inverell, and it's on the road to Moree. And uh, the site has been excised from the original um, property, and it has now been heritage listed. And uh, it has a, a big granite memorial that has been. Uh, to, uh, there to acknowledge by the Friends of Mile Creek. And the Friends of Mile Creek are equally Aboriginal and non-Aboriginal. They want to work together. And I think the Friends of Mile Creek are setting the example of what Australians can do across the rest of the country to acknowledge Absolutely. the massacres that happened near where they live or in a nearby town or, or a place like that. So it's a you know it's a deeply moving service. It takes place over the course of about three or four hours. A great coming together with morning tea and lunch, and in between this very powerful ceremony. And uh, it's it's a great thing to do. It's a really important thing to do. And I think just attending it opens the eyes to us all about just how terrible this period of Australian history was for Aboriginal people. Thank you so much for coming onto the program, Lindo, and I'm hoping that I can have you back um, pretty soon, actually. But in terms of the map, can you just tell this, listeners able to know the link so that they can have a look at that map and yes. and help, help yes. out if they yes. need to? Look, if you just go on to Google and put in the word colonial massacres, that usually takes you automatically to the link and then you can click on the link and the map appears and, and so on. So it's uh, we've tried to make it as accessible as possible. Any final comments, uh, Lindell? Well, I guess the final comment I'd like to make is that uh, the ceremony at Myrtle Creek on the Queen's birthday weekend I think is becoming one of the most important events uh, in Australia at the moment because it's one of the few opportunities for all Australians to acknowledge this very violent past that Australia has. We've been brought up to believe that Australia was peacefully settled. We now know that is certainly not the case. It was very violent. Lots of Aboriginal people lost their lives. And it's it's up to us to acknowledge the importance of that so that we can understand who we are as Australians today. So we're hoping that the map, you know, does open the eyes to all Australians about what happened. And what we've got on the map, the number of sites, really it'd be lucky... You know, it's just those that we know about that I've been able to, the research team has been able to find information about. There's a lot of others that will probably never get on the map because no one will ever talk about them. So it's only an indication. The map is only indicative. It's not, it's not, we can't 
you know, we can't possibly attempt to put everything that happened. But the map will give you an indication of what happened and how it happened. Absolutely. And perhaps this is going to sound really confronting what I'm about to say, but is it fair to say that in some ways, you know, we've still got the families of, and friends of Aboriginal people dying in custody and the people are yes. still dying? Is that fair Absolutely. to say? Absolutely fair to say. You know, what happens in the aftermath of massacre? What massacre does, it destroys that community. You know, if you've got a community of 20 Aboriginal people, which is how most Aboriginal communities lived back then, and you kill six people in one go, that's 30% of the community. They're not going to be able to continue as they were. They can't, they're not in a position to acknowledge country. They're vulnerable to further attack. They're vulnerable to European disease. They're not able to hunt and gather food in the way that they could before perform ceremonial or reproduce the next generation. They're destroyed. And what we're seeing today is the aftermath of these massacres and how people in the aftermath, all these things happened to them. Many were rounded up. Others, you know, were, were arrested for various other things. And then you've got the whole of the living on reserves and their lives very restricted, and then the stolen generation. Massacre is part of that whole process of the colonisation of Aboriginal people, and it's still going on. Exactly, and thank you for making that point, Lyndall, because what I really wanted to say here is that it's not just about the past. No. It's happening now. Very much so, and I think we can see very strongly between the massacres that happened in the past and what is happening with Aboriginal people today. You've been listening to an interview with Professor Lyndall Ryan, a leading historian of the Australian colonial frontier, in conversation with Marissa Spassaro, producer and presenter of 3CR Community Radio's Do and Time show. For more information about today's program and a link to the digital colonial frontier massacres map, you can visit the Women on the Line website, 3cr.org.au forward slash women on the line. And that's all for Women on the Line today. Women on the Line is a community radio national feminist current affairs program featuring the voices of women and gender non-conforming people. This program was produced in Nam, Melbourne, with the amazing support of 3CR staff, so a big thank you to them. Women on the Line is broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network, and we greatly appreciate financial support from the Community Broadcasting Foundation. We welcome your comments or thoughts on today's show, so send us an email to womenontheline at gmail.com or phone 3CR on 03 9419 If you would like more information about today's program or to listen to the show again, you can find what you need on the Women on the Line website, 3cr.org.au forward slash women on the line. The theme music for Women on the Line is by Ripley Kavara. I'm Emma Hart. Hope you can tune in again next time. <laughs>